0: Blah blah blah. Green economy. Blah blah blah. Net zero by 2050. Blah blah blah.
1: It's gonna be very, very tough this summit. And I'm very worried because it, it might go it might go wrong.
0: We have a moral responsibility. Even if we didn't cause it, we would have a moral responsibility to do something about thousands of men, women and children
2: have lost everything.
1: COP is a massive opportunity, but it is a huge responsibility on the shoulders of world leaders.
2: This is COPcast.
1: Hello and welcome to COPcast 5. It is Thursday. Glasgow is continuing to be sunny and beautiful. Um, and today really I think it feels like what we're getting down to is is really getting down to the business side of things, so uh, there's a couple of conversations that uh, I have got for you. The first is with Beatrice who's a member of our team who's actually in there in the the blue zone uh, trying to influence decision makers, uh, a veteran of quite a few COPs uh, and can give us a bit of a perspective on how this one is the same as others and also some key differences. Uh, and after that, a chat with a couple of young people who are here trying to influence events as well. Millie, who's already been on the podcast uh, and is here as a kind of ambassador for Peatlands, really. She's a residential volunteer at our Forstnard Reserve. And also she, who is here from Nigeria, who's a remarkable young woman who set up an environmental charity in her home country and, uh, as you will hear, is a very passionate advocate for the interests of the Global South. Um, I will be back at the end, just to let you know about a couple of things happening at the weekend, but in the meantime, uh, here is uh, my conversation with Beatrice. Right, the Clyde is glittering in the autumn sun again, Um, and I'm here with uh, Beatrice Laraski, who is one of our people behind the fence. Um, uh, First of all, how's your cop going so far?
3: It's been a really intense start because they basically brought all the world leaders in in the first two days of COP and that usually happens at the end of COP. So that means that there were thousands of people more at the beginning than there will be for the rest of it and severe restrictions on access And it's been difficult to move around the space uh, because of security and other considerations. So it's been very intense. We had a big day of announcements on Tuesday with an enormous package of commitments for forests and land use and nature. And so it's been a a much more more intense start to COP than usual.
1: I, I think one of the other things, you know, watching it from outside, is like it felt like those first couple of days were incredibly focused on, like what we would refer to in British politics as the big beasts, right? Having their moment in the spotlight, does that sometimes, does that get in the way of the real hard work?
3: Well, it depends, I guess. I don't think anyone was paying any attention to the negotiations, which did start on Sunday until yesterday, which was the first day free of world leaders. (laughs) So all of the attention was on what the world leaders were saying, some of that was substantive, much of it wasn't. So uh, it's an important part of a COP. So you need you need to bring it's, not every COP has leaders like this coming together. The last one with so many heads of state was Paris and that was because a new agreement was being signed and this is because it's five years on from the Paris agreement. So it's a big moment. There's an important role for that kind of political leadership. You could argue it's a bit of a distraction but actually unless your head of state shows up, your much less likely to produce a package of new announcements and commitments. So it really builds that oomph. It
1: it builds a momentum doesn't it? And I suppose the other thing is a way of thinking about it positively is for people like you right, who have, how many cops is it for you?
3: This is my sixth.
1: Your sixth cop, right. So people who are committed to this and who are working at it If people want to be associated with the values that we are talking about, then that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing that that we are now in the position, because I would imagine in the past, world leaders were not so enthusiastic to be associated with tackling climate change at all. It wasn't wasn't up their priority list.
3: That's a really good point, and I couldn't agree more. So one of the really exciting things that happened on Tuesday is this Glasgow Leaders Declaration for Forests and Land Use, which was signed by 124 leaders. That is a huge number. And even though, I mean, a cynic could argue it's just another declaration. You know, we've had so many. What is the point of another one when we failed to meet the previous commitments? But this is the first time that countries like China and Brazil actually sign on. So there is something new and important about this. And I think that's really, really worth reflecting on.
1: Now, you bring us neatly to talking about China and Brazil, right? When we're thinking about the global picture here, right, having countries of those size, both in terms of like, their economic importance, the, the number of people who live in those countries, but also the pivotal role that the habitats that are in those places play, right, how this is billed as a global summit, right, for you being in there, what does that mean? Like, it, it, does, it, does it feel like everybody's got an equal place at the table that all voices are being heard?
3: That's a that's another big question. Um I think a lot of people would argue that this COP has not been as inclusive as it should be because a lot of people from the global south, a lot of delegates and participants weren't able to come because of COVID related restrictions and other financial issues and and so I think it's probably fair to say it's not always representative but that that's not that's not entirely exclusive to this COP, because if we think about COPs in general, if you look at the size, the delegation size of different countries, some countries like Brazil pitch up with hundreds, literally hundreds of people on their delegation. And smaller countries like small island states, Fiji, or even even a country like Honduras in Central America, they, they don't have the capacity, they don't have the resources to bring the same number of people. So there is there is an inequality, a latent inequality inside COPs as well, I, I, and even for countries.
1: And that's before you get into whether or not the governments of all these countries are representative of all the different peoples and interests. You know, like, for example, the interests of indigenous people when it comes to forests. Exactly. right? So it did, there, are, there are layers and layers of issues about access, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. So h- how do you think this cop compares to the other ones that you've been to?
3: Well, it's very early days, and I was chatting to some colleagues yesterday. Some, some of whom, one of whom, has been to every cop since Copenhagen two thousand nine. So oh, he it? was saying, "Do you that get like a badge for that?" Or something? <laughs> you should. Actually, we used to call them the the dinosaurs, or the <laughs> right,
1: okay. you
3: know those people who've been around for for many, many more cops than most people, and really have this. Historical overview of what, what it feels like and what it looks like and, and how they differ. I think, yeah, I already alluded to the fact that it's it's quite unusual to have leaders at the start rather than at the end of COP. Um, and I think it's fair to say, you know, we're only really in day two of substantive negotiations today. So it's, it's difficult to get a feel for where we're at. Um, I mean, we know what the general mood is. The general mood is... is is not great. It's been a really, really difficult COP for reasons probably outside of the UK government's control because COVID has made things very, very challenging indeed. And, you know, it sounded like there was a little bit of last-minute expectation management from Boris Johnson in the headlines, sort of the week running up to COP saying, well, this is going to be really difficult. Success is nowhere near guaranteed. So I think... I think it's been, yeah, it's been a little bit of a heavy feeling.
1: Now, one thing that quite a few people have said is that that nature has a prominence at this COP that it hasn't had at previous ones. You've been to six, you've spoken to the dinosaurs, right? Okay, you're in touch with the dinosaurs. Do do you think that, first of all, do you think that's true? And if it is true, will that necessarily result in the changes that we need?
3: So that is absolutely true. Never before has any COP presidency put nature on the agenda in this way. It's one of the themes of COP. There's a whole programme of events around it. And that's incredibly welcome. And that is great news for us and has given us an amazing opportunity to really get into the weeds of what it is that we need to do to bring nature into this and to enhance protecting and restoring nature, which we know is absolutely necessary for the climate and for humanity. Um, However, that doesn't mean, you know, how how do we turn this into action? And one of the things that, that I want to share with listeners is... The really, really sort of techie negotiations won't wrap up until the last day of COP. And one of the things we're trying to do is to get nature into the final COP decision text, which is really challenging. We don't know exactly where most parties are about prioritizing nature. Is that something that's ever happened before? It is. At the last COP in Madrid... There was a reference to, to nature, to biodiversity, in the final decision text, which was really good, and we want to build on that. And so that's, that's a, one of our tasks for the next week and a half, is to speak to parties, understand what their positions are, encourage them to include nature in as one of their priorities for the final COP decision text, and and see where we go. And those those decision texts are very important political signals of what countries want to take forward so at you know they at the end of the day it is words on a piece of paper and a lot of the world will never see them but it is reflective of what countries want to do with this process
1: well well listen we will be here for the next week and a half we will let our listeners know if that happens and the other stuff that happens. And thank you very much for taking the time to step out and let us know about it.
3: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. The sun is shining. The river is glistening. I, I couldn't be happier to now be you
1: got to go inside. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> right. I am joined by two young people who are making an impact at COP. It's Shea from Nigeria. And Millie, who uh, regular listeners to the podcast will already know well, um, uh, who's a residential volunteer, volunteer at our Forsenard Reserve, but is down here as a kind of Peeland ambassador. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. ambassador. I think that sounds fair enough. So, here from Nigeria, how has COP been so far?
2: Okay, it has been. Uh, it has been interesting, hectic, but still not what I expected in terms of the urgency and the level of change we need to solve the climate crisis
1: are you struck already by that that it's not as it doesn't feel as intense as you hope
2: the very first day when i when i came back i was actually very disappointed and sad actually because it wasn't what i expected to a lot of degree because um firstly it's not as accessible as i thought it was firstly to get for me to get the badge to come over here and the whole um, logistics of coming over here was quite hectic and then coming here and then we weren't like given isn't, there isn't so much access to where the policy makers and the negotiations are being made right? Yeah,
1: because just for people who don't know you'll be in the blue zone right which yeah. is this kind of observer's zone and do you exactly. feel like you're cut off from the, the yeah the real...
2: I'm essentially very disconnected in terms of I was hoping to have a lot of access probably um, engaging um engaging in negotiations that could probably make a difference. My president gave a speech, and he said, we're going to achieve net zero by 2060. And when I saw the speech, when I saw the... Um, the headlines at first. I was I was in a group chat and I was hoping that people would like spark or be concerned or be like, why is it 2060? But nobody really like yeah. raised that concern. And probably I'm missing a memo. But it feels so far away. Like <laughs> he would be probably he's 78 now. He will probably be dead by then. Yeah. And I'll be an old woman. Yeah, because you're you're 20 now. But yeah, like 2060s. Yeah, I'll eight. be 59 years old. And do we want to be talking about the same issue? And in the next scale of 5 to 10 years we've seen what happened over the past 3 years alone, from the wildfires that have killed billions of biodiversity to the people that have been displaced from their homes that have become climate refugees to the poverty it has created to the strings of issues that stem from that poverty and then we are talking about 2060 and everybody seems to be very comfortable about it I really don't know yeah. but it's really, it's really disturbing so when I came back on the first day and then some that I saw what my president said I was really I was really, I was really disappointed.
1: Well how, well, how about you Millie? How are you how are you feeling?
2: Yeah,
0: I think it's been quite overwhelming so far. Um, I think I mentioned that last time we spoke and I mean I still feel it. Yeah. A few days on from then. Um and like she said there is this feeling of you know, I feel like that observers have kind of been herded a little bit into the pavilion part of the Blue Zone and then where the actual negotiations are happening, you know, very few people are actually allowed in there and so there's all these people that have gathered, people who have passion and enthusiasm and they don't necessarily have the space to share that with the people that are going to be making the decisions. They can share it with each other and it's great that we can yeah. chat to people and communicate and learn from all the different pavilion spaces, but essentially, we're not getting the message across. Because, exactly.
1: she, one of the things I want to ask you specifically about, right, is there are a lot of people who've been asked to come here, right, yeah. and you know, their access is, well, they're their presence has been facilitated, right? Particularly from the global south. But there is, you know, you only have to look on Twitter to see quite a lot of people who are really concerned that that they're maybe here more for window dressing, essentially, for people to be able to see, oh, oh, oh well, look... We have voices from the Global yeah. South, but actually when it comes to getting engaged with the, the, the real meat of the question, yeah. they're not, are you worried about that?
2: Yeah, someone called it youth washing. I don't know if that relates to what we're saying. In terms of how companies want to look good, that's sort of like green washing. So like, probably they bring youth from the Global South and, oh, youth are well represented, and then those youth are not given access to... I don't, I don't know how to put. It. It's a very delicate issue. It's a very, very delicate topic. And these people are not just speaking for themselves and their own, but like hundreds to thousands of communities that are that wouldn't probably have, have the privilege to come over here, right? But now it's one thing to come here. I used to think that it's just coming here that it's, and you just get access. But it's one thing to get access to coming here, and then it's wanting to have the access to those that are making the final um. That are going to that are going to make the final change that you we really need, and it's very difficult for those in the global south. Someone like Vanessa Nakate, Vanessa had an issue three years ago.
1: We, we should, in case people don't yeah. know, she's a an amazing young activist yeah. who's really made an impact. She you know, has but, but, but often has anxieties that she's being, air, I mean, literally being airbrushed out of pictures Thank you. And, and stuff. She yeah. has
2: helped to mainstream the African continent from the youth perspective to the main global stage of COP. But still, three years or two years later, after the very first time she was she was ignored and she was discriminated, I would use that word, from yeah. a particular um, press release with her and Greta Thunberg. We are in 2021 and news um, um, press is still doing that. Yeah. Three press releases, and probably more that I'm not aware of, did the same thing. And this is this raises concern of what we are doing at COP. Are we coming each year to replay what we have what we have been doing in the past? Is that what we are coming to do? Is this, has this become a carnival or like a celebration, Christmas celebration that we we come every year to have fun and meet our friends and then we go back home? We can't continue like this. The issue makes issue. You should have needs us to treat it with urgency, and that's what we are lacking very seriously at COP conferences.
1: Yeah and, and that I'm Millie really, I mean like it's hard to disagree with any of that right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for a start right okay but it more widely for young voices as well there are a lot of kind of parallel things aren't there like the, the anxiety is like being being having a platform is one thing but it's got to be more than that
0: yeah and i think mirroring what you said there is it's like a sense of is it just tokenism and ticking a box and saying oh we're listening to young people we've invited them here today we've given them this opportunity and yeah it's an incredible opportunity and we appreciate that we are able to be here but if people aren't listening to us and giving us a space and the opportunity to then talk to the people that we need to talk to it does just feel like we're not actually being valued. And even though they have us here, they're not actually listening to what we have to say.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, speaking as an old person, (laughs) (laughs) relatively speaking, right, I'm listening to you, right, but ultimately I I don't have control over the things that that the people in there in that green zone have control over. So, think about the next week and a half, uh, are you still hopeful that there'll be real change?
2: Um... So I look forward to the strike, and I'm happy for people like I'm happy to, that we have people like Greta Thunberg and Vanessa, especially Greta, in terms of the fact that Greta has Greta is 16 years, is 16 years old, helped to mainstream this issue. Like she way she helped people. Like right now there's a particular signature going around and people over one point four million people have signed, which is really incredible. Like if way she's able to galvanize a lot of people to to put pressure on the government is remarkable. But this is still on the streets and this, this is still on the on the online. And my question my real question is how can we make this all this wonderful actions and signature signing and everything, how can we really Put pressure on our governments. We're going to have a strike this Friday. I genuinely hope that something good would come out of it because million, I believe millions of people are going to, even not thousands, probably thousands of millions of people are going to gather on the streets of Glasgow in 24 hours from now. About 24 hours from now, like how can we actually p- make sure that that pressure really, really catalyzes the change we want in those rooms that we don't have access to?
1: Yeah,
2: we have, we still have a week. And I hope, things don't, I hope things don't end badly because when you look at the scale of the issue, you'd get very angry and tired and disturbed. So I just hope that we really get the change we want soon enough and our world leaders really understand. Someone has, yeah, there's another lady, her name is Elizabeth Watuti, and one thing she said was. Can we? She, her speech was very touching. In terms of, she said, "Can we?" Can she's urging them to open up their hearts. We believe they are humans too, so we believe they are still humans. So, can they open up their hearts to these realities and from there from within their hearts? Let's maybe the, their their heads are not really like um, processing it properly the way we want it to, but probably their hearts yeah. would would bring the change we really want urgently. So she keeps on urging them to open up their hearts. And I'm, if I'm still urging them that same light, to keep opening up their hearts, to please mirror the realities of what people are facing the, in the vulnerable communities and use that to shape the policies they are making at COP with urgency, yeah.
1: And, I mean, opening up your hearts is what we're asking people, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is,
0: and I think it's very easy for people when they're here in Glasgow to not truly listen to the stories that people are telling them and they're not there, they're not physically seeing what's happening in these places with the most vulnerable communities. And so when you're here in Glasgow, I think it probably is very easy for the people in charge to just shut off and nod along without like you, you know, like they say, opening your heart. So they do need to truly listen especially to, you know, indigenous communities who are here in Glasgow, that might be another thing which I hope that we do see true change when it comes to listening to them because they are the ones that matter. They're the ones who are currently treating our planet the best Uh and appreciating it and, you know, respecting it. Um, And I think, yeah, the policy makers just need to understand what's actually going on. They can't just pretend and you know they might make themselves feel better by making these commitments every day and they're making these commitments but I think it's only after COP when we can see if there's actually anything that's happening when we will know whether or not this has been uh, yeah, yeah a successful
1: but I tell you what makes me hopeful right it's like just people like you guys right you know so you know when i was your age i was mostly slumped in my bedroom listening to smith's records right ignoring the world so um and i think i think we can rest assured that there are people who are there to speak up you know for nature and their communities um and that's something isn't it but listen thank you for taking the time to talk to us today
2: thank you for having me thank you for listening
1: So, I think fair to say, a lot to think about there. Now, if you know, we can't all be in Glasgow at COP, uh, but you can still hopefully influence events here. We have a day of action coming up on Saturday. Uh, there are demonstrations in various places in the UK. There's also the opportunity to take part virtually in demonstrations and other ways that you can lend your voice to getting a good deal for nature and the climate, I will pop the information about that into the show notes and you can follow it up Uh, we will be back I think on Saturday when uh, we're getting the band back together Uh, Kate, my co-host will be with us and we will be experiencing what I am hoping is going to be an inspiring and exciting day on the Day of Action March here in Glasgow Uh, so more from us then until then thank you for listening and goodbye